All right. While you're finding your place in the book of Joshua, I think I failed to mention that uh, Malthus, of course, is fluent in English, but his family is not. So depending on what you're planning to feed him, depending on the menu, I just might have to come as a translator, you know? <laughs> Spaghetti, nah, he can, they, they, just have to, they just have to get by themselves. <laughs> yeah. All right, well... You know, we cracked the book of Joshua last Sunday morning, and we're going to resume that, picking up in chapter 10, and we'll um, read through the end of chapter 1. So Joshua, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18 is where we are today. I'm going to start reading in verse number 10. Follow along as we read God's Word, beginning in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 1. The Bible says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all your valiant warriors and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as He gives you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They answered, Joshua saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only... May Yahweh your Elohim, may the Lord your God be with you as He was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Well, verses 10 through 18 as you can tell in your Bible, if it's marked off in paragraphs, really breaks down into two major sections. There's a par- Well, there's really three, but it's two sections. There's a paragraph from 10 and 11, continuing what Joshua is ordering them through verse number 15. And then we have the response of the people in verses 16 through 18. So let me just give a little disclaimer here. Because verses 12 through 15 really frame the response of the people in verses 16 through 18 and really show us uh, uh, what this response was all about and just why this response is so outstanding, I've decided to include that middle chapter with our exposition of the last chapter and let verses 10 and 11 stand alone. So as we walk our way through this passage and see what the significance of it is, let's consider it under this heading. 
leading and following. Now, right off the bat, you're probably thinking, well, one or the other of these sections doesn't apply to me. You see, we tend to look at ourselves as either leaders or followers. But that's really not the case. You know, you are at the same time both a leader and a follower. It's difficult for us to be a good leader if we are also not simultaneously a good follower. And by the same token, if you are in a leadership position, and by the way, everybody is leading somebody. Did you know that? You are in front of somebody just by nature of chronology and spiritual maturity. So you are a leader in some fashion, some form or fashion, no matter if you think you're not. But we really can't develop as leaders without being followers. And we also can't be good followers until we have really put our hand to the plow of leadership in some form or fashion. So let's look at both of these together and please don't dismiss or disassociate yourself from either one of them because one part of this text really focuses on leadership, i.e. given by Joshua and his guys. And then the other part focuses on the followers and their response to biblical leadership. So check this out with me. Notice what it is. Verses 10 and 11 tell us about leading and following. I think here's the main idea. When leading, our obedient response should be immediate. Immediate. Now, you know what that means? That means when God says something as a leader, there's very little lag time that you have. Uh, You don't have the privilege of sitting around and thinking on it and praying about it and, and mulling it over and meditating and getting biblical counsel. When God says something as a leader, we've got to develop the spontaneous reaction of being immediately obedient. And that's what we see Joshua does here. Notice God gives all the commands to Joshua in verses 1 through 9. And in verse number 10, the Bible says, Then Joshua. You know, a lot of times that's where we live. God's already said it. Then you. Are we going to respond or are we just going to sit? There's a quote that I want to share with you. I don't have it on my paper, but I put it on the screen. If Miss Margie, you can get it up there. Check this out. When we stand reasoning rather than running, debating rather than doing, something is seriously wrong. Now, I'm talking spiritually here, okay? And I use this word running because when we stand reasoning rather than running. Was it the passage that Alyssa read this morning that the psalmist David said, I will run the way of your commandments. So let me ask you, when God says something, do you run towards it? Do you walk at a fast pace? Do you just stroll casually? Or do you not go at all? Well, David X'd out every possibility here except one, and that's run. He says, when you do something, I'm going to run to do it. So when we stand reasoning rather than running, debating rather than doing, something is seriously wrong. Man, I can tell you, (laughs) uh, from our days, Heather and I travel pretty extensively, you know, in years past, as mission mobilizers. And there's a certain brand of church that I could pick up on very quickly. All they want to do is talk about missions. They really don't want to be involved in missions. They just want to talk about missions. 
and they analyze everything. I describe these people as having paralysis by analysis. Because you tell them something, and son, they analyze it theologically. They analyze it in every possible way. As a matter of fact, all they ever do is analyze it. And they never get around to doing anything. All they want to do is think about it. Check out what it is that the Bible says here. The Bible says, when leading our obedient response should be immediate. Verse number 10, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. What is our immediate response? Well, we respond with decisive action. Hey, decisive action. That means that we don't wonder about what it is, who it is, where it is, when it is. We make a decision, and by golly, we put it into practice. Look, we're not having to make it up. We're just doing whatever it is that God's saying. Hey, here's a good way to be a decisive person when it comes to the Lord and what He says to us. You know it's dangerous, but here's what my prayer is before I open God's Word. I normally say something like this, and by the way, it's biblical. This is what Samuel said. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. And I will do whatever it is that you say. Hey, do you have a blank check like that with God before you come to church on Sunday morning and hear God's Word? God, I'm telling you right now, I have no idea what that crazy fast-talking preacher is going to say. But if you say it, God, I'm going to do it. I don't even know what his passage is. I don't know what his topic is. But whatever you say, God, if you confirm it by your Spirit through your Word then by golly, I'm going to do it. That ought to be the attitude with which we come to God's Word on a daily basis. Decisive action. Now notice the decisive action that Joshua took here. And by the way, he's given us a good leadership lesson. He responded immediately with decisive action. And to whom did he respond? He responded first to the individuals closest to him. I mean, notice what he did. The Bible says in verse number 10, Then Joshua commanded the officers. Now, why is it that Joshua commands the officers? Well, I think there's two things going on here. Number one, when God speaks, He normally gives you a God-sized task. Am I right? Are you with me? Now, I want you to hear this. You can't do what God's calling you to do by yourself. You can't. If you can do what God's calling you to do by yourself, I think you've misunderstood God. You see, that's what the church is for. And contrary to popular opinion today, and we're going to see this play out later in this, in this passage, you know, there's a whole lot of folk today sitting home in Holmes County that will swear up and down that they're born-again believers but have nothing to do, do not want to have anything to do, will not ever have anything to do with a local church. Now, I seriously question that from a biblical standpoint. But let's just say that they are. They're disassociated. They're disconnected from the family of God. I can tell you that their impact in the kingdom is zero. Zero. Because you can't be a kingdom player by yourself. Joshua couldn't do this by himself. So what did he do when God spoke to him and let him know what he was to do? he immediately began to enlist people to help him. So he responded to those people.
who were closest to him. Now, notice what else he did. Not only did he respond to the individuals closest to him, but he responded to the issues closest to him. Now look, this is a big call. God told him, he said, you prepare the people, get them up, because in three days, y'all are crossing the land. Y'all are crossing the river going in to possess this land. So notice what Joshua does. He commands the officers of the people saying, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are going to cross this Jordan. Now here's what he did. And my God, this is just so simple. This is great leadership advice for us. This is great fellowship advice. When God calls, and He calls you to do something that's so big that you can't do it by yourself, and you've got to enlist other people, here's how you start. You start with the most pressing issue. The one that is chronologically and geographically closest to you. But notice, if we would have been the Israelites that day, and if we would have been Joshua, we wouldn't have been concerned with the river. We would have had a hundred other questions that may not come into play until three or four years down the road. I mean, we'd have, we'd have, had, we'd have, we'd have stood debating and reasoning like this. Well, God's called us across the Jordan River. But hey, what about Jericho? But hey, what about Ai? What about all those Gibeonites over there? What about this? What about that? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And then we end up having paralysis by analysis. Here's the first thing you do. When God calls you to do something, you respond to the issue that is closest at hand. And the issue that was closest was what? The Jordan River. So Joshua just gives them very specific instruction on what it is that they are to focus on. They're to prepare in order to cross the Jordan. Hey, we're not worried about Jericho. That'll take place when we get to Jericho when that is chronologically and geographically the next issue. But hey, stop worrying about things that are 10 years down the road. Just do what it is that God's called you today because you'll never make this journey until you take the first step dealing with the issue that is facing you today. Joshua gave very specific instruction. He gave only, did you notice this also? He only gave, only, only the information he gave was the information that they needed. He didn't fill them up with a whole lot of stuff. He was very concise and he was very specific. Here's what leaders will do. Leaders will say things like this. Alright, tomorrow this is what we're going to do. Here's what I see a lot of folk doing today. As a matter of fact, I was having a discussion with one of our young mothers about this the other day because here's what I see happen a lot of times with children who are five and six and seven years old. Parents will put the decision-making process on the children. And it's not fair to put a child in that position just as it's not fair sometimes for leaders to put followers in that position of making the decisions. Here's what I see parents doing sometimes. They'll take kids and they'll say, okay, uh, you know, they'll be out somewhere and they'll say, now, where do you want to eat lunch? You want to eat at Burger King? You want to eat at McDonald's? You want to eat at Wendy's? You want to eat Chick-fil-A? You want to eat at Captain D's? You want to... And kids are just overwhelmed with that. Now, here's what Joshua would have done. Joshua would have said, you want to eat 
Hamburgers or chickens? Chicken fingers. Which one is it? Now, do you see how that takes all the pressure off the kid? All of a sudden, they don't have a hundred different choices to make. It's just two things. Or better yet, it's this. I mean, if you want to be generous, you can say, hey, you want to eat Burger King, you want to eat McDonald's. If you want to be nice, don't give them a hundred different choices. And that's what Joshua does. He gave only the information needed. He was very specific and he helped his followers be be prepared to do what it is that God was calling them to do in such a way. Narrow that thing down. Deal with the people closest to you and deal with the issues closest to you and let the rest of it fall off the plate until it moves into view. Now check out number next. Not only did he respond with decisive action, but he also responded with direct authority. Here's what leaders need, by the way. Authority. Authority. I mean, who wants to follow a weak, unsure, unconfident, scared leader? So what does Joshua do? He simply stands up and his direct authority is this. You know what he told them? He told them verbatim what God had said to him. And you see, that's where our authority comes from. Friend, I want you to know, I don't have any authority as a man to give you orders or instructions. I only have authority as I am faithfully communicating what God has already said in His Word. And you see, Joshua learned that. So he communicated with direct authority. But notice what else he communicated with. He communicated with divine assurance. I mean, it wasn't, if you do this, maybe this will happen. No, you see, a leader's got to have confidence to know that if we do exactly what God has said, then God will do what He has said. Now, check it out. Notice what it is that Joshua said. He told the people, just like God told him, prepare provisions for yourselves... For within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Now, there's a lot of things here that come into play. And if you'll notice, this word is used in couplets throughout this passage. But Joshua was sure that if they will go, God will give. So check it out. Notice, I want you to see this. To go in to possess it, underline it right there. The land which the Lord your God has given you to possess it. Now check out this same type of formula in verse number 15. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan. Now, that doesn't make any sense unless you understand it in this light. Because it looks like God's given twice, does it not? It looks like they're possessing twice, does it not? But that's not the case. Here's what, well, I'll tell you what, just hold that thought right there. Just, just put a check right there and let me circle back and get it a little bit later as it applies to these followers. Is that okay with you? Yes, it is. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> I whet your appetite. You want it now, don't you, Myra? Check out number next. That's the leading section of this. Let's spend our time this morning in this following part. Because this passage teaches us 
that when, le- when leading, our obedient response should be immediate. God says it, boom. We're, in, we're, we're, we're taking steps of, of, of faith and action. But number next in verses 12 through 18, when following, our collective response should be impressive. Impressive. Now notice, I said collective response. You see, this passage moves from an individual response of the leader to the collective response of the people. Are you following me? And you see, that's a picture of of the church today. The people of Israel responding collectively. We had the officers who were closest to him. We had the people that they passed through the camp. And then we had the two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And all of them responded faithfully, collectively. Now hear me. That is impressive. And that indeed is shocking. Because even Moses didn't expect that. Let me show you the background of this. Turn back just a couple of pages to the book of Numbers chapter number 32. In Numbers chapter number 32, this is when it all went down. This is when Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh started looking at the land on the other side of the Jordan. Not in Canaan, but on the east side of the Jordan. And the Bible tells us that they had a lot of cows. They were cattlemen, David. They were part of the, of the Canaanite Cattlemen's Association. They had so many cattle. And, and they said, you know, this land on this side is more suited for grazing than that land over on the other side. So why don't we go and ask Moses if he won't just give us this? Now, now here's the deal. We often think that that was a faithless act on their part and they were out of God's will because God had given them the promised land on the other side of Jordan. But wait a minute. Do you remember the size, the geographic boundaries that God outlined last week in chapter 1? The land which he was giving them went all the way to the Euphrates River. All the way back into Iraq and Iran and Syria and Jordan. So maybe they weren't out of God's will after all. Maybe they were possessing within the geographic boundaries that God had already described. But now notice what happens here. I want you to see this account in Numbers chapter number 32. Look what it is that Moses said. Because in... in uh, from 13 and proceeding is them asking Moses very politely for that land. Look at Moses' response in verse 14. I can't help but laugh at this a little bit. When I read it, you're going to understand why I'm laughing. Here's what Moses said to him. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place a brood of sinful men to add still more to the burning anger of Yahweh against Israel. Son Moses chapped their hide, did he not? Because he thought they were just wimping out and they didn't want to fulfill their responsibility of going in and taking the land by conquest in Canaan. But wait a minute, they said, no, that's not the case at all. Tell you what, you give us this land right here and when it comes time for them to cross the Jordan River and go in and fight... We're going to go in with them and we're going to fight just as if we were fighting for our own stuff. And Moses says, basically, yeah, right. (laughs) Moses, you know, Moses had a hard time believing it. 
But Moses said, all right, I'll tell you what. On your word, you remember this day, you mark it down. As my daddy would say, you write this down on the inside of your eyeballs, on the inside of your eyelids. You remember this because you said it. Because when it comes time, that's exactly what you've got to do. Now, notice why it is that Moses chastised them so much. Go back with me to verse number 6 and 7 of Numbers 32. Moses said to the sons of God and to the sons of Gad, excuse me, and the sons of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves, underline this word, sit here. Now, if that's not another description of the church today, I mean, how many times have you heard that the mission gets carried out by 20% of the people while 80% of the people do nothing? Or how does that, all, how does that old, uh, old thing go? 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. We've got a lot of folks sitting while a very few folk are in the battle. So Moses says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. You're not going to sit here while your brothers are fighting for their life and for the land which God's given them. Now notice what else. Notice how Moses frames it in verse 7. Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? Here's why Moses was so concerned about it. It's because he knew that if the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe Manasseh didn't keep their word, you know what it was going to do to the rest of Israel? It's going to discourage them. Discourage them. Now, there's a lot of discouragement going around today. Do you know that? I mean, if you're an encourager, you've got more work to do than you can shake a stick at. Because just about everybody's discouraged in some form or fashion. But here's the more primal question. Do you want to discourage folk? I mean, is that the goal of your life? You want to be a discourager? I mean, you want to take folk who are, who are in the battle doing what God has commanded them to do for His honor and glory, and you want to discourage them? I don't know of anybody who would say, yep, in the kingdom I want to be a discourager. I want to have the spiritual gift of discouragement. But you know what? That's what happens so many times and we don't even know that we're doing it. Now, can I just be transparent with you for a little while? Totally, completely honest and transparent. You know the greatest source of discouragement in my life as a pastoral leader? Not just now, but has always been. Here's the greatest source of discouragement for me. It's to know the potential that God has placed within a body of believers and to see the lack of interest that believers have in pursuing that potential. That's one of the most discouraging things. Here's how it fleshes out. Man, look, I wouldn't trade y'all for anybody. Do you know that? I mean, warts and all, I wouldn't trade you for... You know how many churches I passed between Troy, Alabama and Bonifay? <laughs> I wouldn't trade y'all for any of them. I wouldn't. No matter how big, no matter how little, no matter... I wouldn't. This is, this is where I, I, I want to be. Uh, this is where I'm content. But even at a good church like Grace, 
There's enough discouragement to go around. And let me tell you what discourages me. What discourages me more than anything else in kingdom work is when I've been in the battle all week long and I show up here on Sunday to worship with my family and I've been preparing all week long to speak with divine assurance and to direct authority and take decisive action It discourages me when I look out and I see about 50 people who ought to be here, but they're sitting somewhere else. So that discourages me. That just discourages the fire out of me to know that God's people don't even have enough initiative to be a part of the worship service, let alone to be in the battle. And we've got this epidemic at grace. We've got, we run two different crowds. Did you know that? We'll run one crowd this week, and the next week we got a whole nother crowd. There are so many people that are consistently inconsistent, and that's the greatest source of discouragement to your pastor. I will tell you right now. Look at my face. By golly, that discourages me. So you want to discourage your pastor? Let me tell you how to do it. Just show up every other Sunday. That'll discourage fire out of me. You want to make John Wilson quit? Just be inconsistent in, in your attendance and in your walk. Now, let's put that on the other, on the other foot, can I? Because John is teaching me this. John is teaching me how to, how to be positive, Cliff. <laughs> That's what I get from John. There ain't nothing that encourages me more. Here's what encourages me. Because when I've been in the battle all week, but hey, has anybody been in the battle or is it just me? Am I running interference for y'all? Or have you been in the battle this week? When I've been in the battle all week and I come to church on Sunday morning, there ain't nothing that encourages me more than seeing you. Look here, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't. It's kind of like when you go to your funeral. What do you say at a funeral? What do you say to folk? What, you say anything ain't what's important. It's just the fact that you're there. And it's the same way on Sunday. Nothing encourages me more when I've been in the battle and get this, knowing that when I get out of here, guess where I'm going again? Right back to the battle. You're exactly right. So y'all experience warriors. Y'all know about this, don't you? There's nothing that encourages me more than seeing you. Just seeing you, knowing that I'm not in this battle by myself. And you see, that was the whole reason why Moses chastised them old boys. He said, oh no, y'all ain't going to sit here on your hiney. And you never just sit and do nothing. We think that sometimes. We use that prayer, just sit and do nothing. Oh no, no, here's what you do. You sit and discourage. Huh? Now boy, that's pretty significant, is it not? You know, this past spring... I picked a group of leaders. I responded to folk who were closest to me. Folk that God's doing stuff in their life. And I went to them I said, Hey, I'd like to do something with y'all. I'd like to take y'all through this little thing called experiencing God. If y'all are interested, we'll do it. But here's the deal. We're not going to do it if you're going to do it for two or three weeks and then jump out and kick out on me. Because I'm not doing this to be discouraged. I'm doing this for encouragement. And to make an investment in your life. So they said, yeah, 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 let's do it. So we had, how many? Eight or nine folk went through experiencing God. 
Everybody's right there every week. Boom, 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 boom. Man, it was one of the most encouraging things because nobody fell out. Those we started with, we finished with. It was a good thing, but here's what I told them. I said, now look, here's the reason why I'm doing this. I'm doing this not just for your personal edification, but I'm doing this because when you are through going through it, you are going to take somebody else through it, and in that way we're going to get entire grace, uh, the entire grace family through it. Okay, that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. Yeah, let's do that. Everybody faithful. Everybody fired up about it. So now they start getting their groups together. Who they're going to take? They've been going, I don't know, two or three weeks. You see, they're the teachers, they're the leaders, and I'm the principal. Guess what the principal spends a lot of his time doing? Encouraging leaders. You know why? Why are they discouraged? Exactly right. Because the people they enlisted have done quit after two weeks. So that'll discourage, that'll just suck the wind out of a leader. Don't do that. Don't be a discourager. Be an encourager. Or we're going to find Moses chastising us just like he did these old boys. Now check that. Hey, you might think you're in, you might think nobody even notices when you're not here. That's a lie. Let me tell you what God's given. I've got this supernatural gift, Cliff. <laughs> I hate it. I wish I didn't have it. But I can stand up here and do the offering time. Before offering, I can stand up here with a smile on my face, look out, and by the time I've scanned twice, I can tell you everybody who ain't here. I wish I didn't have that ability. <laughs> I wish God would take it away from me. I wish I could be like some of my positive, optimistic pastor friends and say, just focus on those who are there, Brother Richie. You see what I'm saying? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Just what an impact you are making on people in this fellowship just by being faithful to show up. Huh? You can have a ministry of encouragement just by showing up. Hey, am I, come on leaders, help me. Am I right here? Or am I way off base? Alright, i got to hurry. Or I'm going to spend all my time right here. Check out. Now, now you see why this was so impressive. It was so impressive. Let me tell you, if the Reubenites and the Gadites and the Manassehites, <laughs> if they would have been Southern Baptists, this story would be a whole lot different. Huh? They would have said, wait, we, we got ours. Y'all go get yours. But we got ours right here. We're comfortable right here. Isn't that how it would have fleshed out? So you see why this is so impressive? All of them said, oh no, we're going to do this. Now look, here's why it's so impressive on the part of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was impressive because there was no personal gain involved for them. No personal gain what did they stand to gain by going to war? Not one thing. They already had the title deed to their land, but they knew that here it is. Let's get back to it. I told you I'd circle around. They knew they couldn't possess what God had given them fully until they had been faithful in helping their brothers possess what God had given them. 
Now, you remember I said that word's used in couplet a lot of times? And here's the reason why. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, even though they already had the title deed, they would never be able to enjoy that land unless they were faithful to what they had said they'd do and what God had asked them to do. See, there's a difference in possessing something but enjoying something. And boy, I can't tell you how many times I have learned this by experience. Hear me. You ever had something that you wanted real bad? Don't know why, but by golly, you wanted it. And you did whatever you had to do, April. You went out and got you a side hustle in order to get it. Didn't have enough cash in the kitty, but I'll go out and get me a side hustle. I'll do a couple side jobs. I'll get that thing. You run out and get it. You don't even pray about it. You just run out and get it, and you got it. And after you've had it for a little while, you think, why did I want that? I don't even like this. I don't enjoy this. There's no pleasure in it for me. I wish I wouldn't have bought this. And then you begin to pray, God, will you help me sell this? And it's almost like God says, what are you talking about? I didn't know you had one of them. <laughs> you didn't ask me about it. You went out and got something you didn't ask me about? Uh, you, you know, I'm being facetious here. God knows everything. But isn't that how the conversation seems to go? Huh? And there is not only today an epidemic of discouragement among the people of God, but there is also an epidemic of discontentment. Son, we've got a ton of stuff and we're still not happy. Huh? I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff and somehow or another we don't have the ability to enjoy it. And why is that? We can't enjoy what we've got because we've got it in disobedience. And you ain't ever going to enjoy anything that way. I mean, you can have whatever you want to. One of the things that short-term missions teams... Man, here's what they come back, and here's, here's one of their takeaways. Pastor Richie, I've never seen people that have so much joy and contentment and peace in their life even though they have absolutely nothing tangibly. And we've got everything back here in the good old USA, and what we're lacking is peace and joy and contentment. And could it be for this very reason? Because we've got stuff at the cost of our obedience to what God's asked us to do. And you can have a mansion on the hill, brother. But if you got that mansion on the hill at the expense of you doing what God asked you to do, I can promise you, you'd be better off in a shack than in a mansion. Check out number next. There's no personal gain involved for them. I told Heather, I'm going to be through by 11.30. Ain't a lot in this passage. Now I'm pushed to even get through. <laughs> no personal gain for them. That's the kingdom, folk. It's not about you and what you get out of it. Yet so many people today have a consumer mentality when it comes to serving God. They want to know what they get out of being a part of a church. I'll tell you what you get. Here's what you get. You get the privilege of being in battle fighting for your brother, not yourself. Huh? They got up and they got at it, Cliff. Even though there wasn't nothing there, for it, they were helping somebody else. No personal gain. 
It is not about what I get out of it. It's about me fulfilling my role in the kingdom, helping my brother possess what God's given to him. i got to hurry. This was an impressive act of collective obedience, even though there was no personal gain involved. And even when there's no protection for our goods, look in verse number 14. Here's what it is. got to get back to Joshua. We're done there in Numbers. Joshua chapter 1 verse number 14. Here's what Joshua said. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but you shall cross before your brothers in battle array. All of your Gibor Ha'il, all of your mighty men of valor. So guess what? Look who was left in the land. The women, the children, and the cows. They were completely defenseless. All of the fighting men, all of the brave warriors, all of the mighty men, where were they? They were on the other side of the Jordan fighting for their brothers, right? While their families, their houses, and all their possessions were left out there wide open like a sitting duck. All of one of those warring tribes that was roaming through there at that time had to do was say, look, look at all, look at all this stuff. There ain't nobody there but women and children. Let's go take it. And what's my point? The Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe Manasseh, you know what they said? Here's why they did it. They said, we make God's business our business. God will make our business His business. And He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. And that's just the way it is. When you're, doing, when you're doing what God wants you to do, do you know you are vulnerable to a certain extent? Are you okay with that, with being vulnerable? I mean, no matter what it is, when God asks you to do it, if you do it, you're vulnerable in some way or another. But God promises that He will be our protector. He's got our back. Here's what He said to Abraham. I am your rear guard. You keep doing what you're supposed to do, what I put in front of you, and I'll make sure nobody comes up and does a sneak attack from behind you because I've got you back. And here's what those old boys knew. They knew as long as they were going forward doing what God wanted them to do, God would protect their wives and their children and their cows and their houses their horses, their lands. And can I say to you, I'd rather have God protecting my stuff than I had myself. You know what I'm saying? Because I can sit at my gate with a shotgun. And I'm going to go to sleep sometime. <laughs> but God's not going to go to sleep. I mean, I can tell you, that's just a, I'll never forget one of, the most, one of the most miserable times in my life in the battle was in 2010. Heather and I were getting ready to ship out to Brazil and all of a sudden the emergency came up stateside with my daddy and Heather had to stay here and, and, and I was in the jungle down there for about three or four months by myself. I, I will never do that. Well, I won't say never. But I don't plan to do that again. Are you with me? And I can remember while I was down there, just about everything that could fall apart back here fell apart. I mean, my wife's going down the road and her car just quit. Just quits. I mean, the transmission just went. Just all of a sudden, no, no warning, no, no, just went. 
So she calls me up. That's exactly what I want to hear. I'm 36 hours away in the jungle of Brazil. I want to hear my wife stranded on the side of the road with her car broke down. Lo and behold, one of my friends who owns an auto mechanic shop just happened to be driving by, stops, hauls her car to his shop, says, since your husband is on the mission field taking care of God's business, don't you worry about paying a dime for this. It's on me. Son, I came out with a better transmission than I would have had him at home, Cliff, because he'd have charged me for it. <laughs> he gave it to Heather. <laughs> I, can, I could just go on and on and on telling you about things that fell apart while I was gone and God had it. I came home joking and told Heather, I said, well, when the house needs paint, I'm going to Brazil. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> God's got you. Don't you worry about being vulnerable. You're going to be vulnerable, but God's got you. Check it out. i got to hurry. Man, it was impressive because there was no personal gain involved. There was no protection for their goods. And they went out of sheer gratitude for their own gift. Hey, check out verses... Uh, 13 and 15. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and, you will, and will give you this land. It's a done deal. Verse number 15. Until the Lord gives your brothers rest as He gives you rest, and they also possess the land. You shall return. Here it is. And you shall return to your own land and possess it. Now he's talking about coming back into it and really enjoying it because you've been obedient. Now you can enjoy what you got because you've been obedient. So here's why they went. They went out of obedience for what God had already given them. I mean, out of gratitude for what God has already given them. Hey, can I say to you, there ain't enough going on this planet that is commensurate with the gratitude that we ought to have for what God's already given us. Huh? We ought not stop. Going. We ought not stop being obedient. We ought not stop being faithful. Why? Because we're trying to earn something? No. Out of gratitude for what God's already given us. My goodness, i got to hurry. Look at number next. Notice, notice why this was impressive. Or how we can be impressive. When we pray for God's blessings. I, notice, here's one of their responses. Here's how they responded in faithfulness. They prayed for God's blessing. Look what they said to Joshua. They answered Joshua and said... All that you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you... Here's a good sending verse. Sending church verse, Dr. John. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses and all things, we'll obey you. Now look, this is prayer language right here. Are you with me? Prayer language. Only may. That's prayer language. So all of a sudden now, they're talking to Joshua, but they're praying to Yahweh. Can I say to you, one of the best things you can do is pray for your leaders. Let them hear you pray for them. They prayed for Joshua in his presence. And here's what their prayer was. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Man, I'll tell you, a leader is nothing without the presence of God. And they said, we'll do all of this. May God be with you, Moses. I mean, Joshua. And then look at the next thing. Here's the, the final part of their prayer request for Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. Now how many times has that come up with Joshua? 
God's told him that about five times in the first few verses. Now his people are telling him that. Now, here's why they were probably telling him that. Do you know Joshua may have had a tendency? He may have had a tendency to be weak and want to be a recluse and an introvert and rather not be up front leading but rather be on the back row looking. Maybe he had a tendency to let things bother him and his people knew that. Hey, I don't mind if you know my weaknesses as long as you pray for them. Huh? Joshua's people knew him. They knew his weakness, so they said, here's what our request is, Joshua. May God be with you, and may you be strong and courageous. You know why? Because nobody wants to follow a weak, fearful leader, right? Anybody want to follow somebody like that? Who do they follow? They follow people who are strong and courageous. And can I say to you that when there's a courageous leader... Man, courage is something that's contagious. When you've got a courageous leader, he will embolden other people to be courageous as well. And they said, you be strong and you be courageous. i got to hurry. Why was their obedience and response so impressive? Here's four reasons. Here's number one. Verse number 18 closes it down for us. Because the penalty for not being obedient was too great. The penalty was too great. Check out verse number 18. Their collective response was, Every one of us, Joshua, is going with you. And now here's their response. Just in the rare case, there's somebody who thinks that they're not because they've already got theirs and they don't care if anybody else gets theirs or not. Here's the response, verse number 18. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that you command him shall be made a deacon. (laughs) Shall be promoted to elder. No! Shall what? Shall be put to death. My goodness. That's a serious penalty. Is it not for disobedience? And guys, can I say to you today that there's a great penalty. And here's what we do so many times. We couch it in these words. Well, if you don't do it, that's okay. God will get somebody else to do it. No, it's not just that you miss out on the blessing. There's consequences to disobedience. The Bible says every father, every son whom the father loves, he does what? You better believe it. So here's the deal. When God says something, if we stand reasoning rather than running, debating rather than doing, we're getting a little bit closer to discipline. And if there's no discipline in our lives for disobedience, it may be that we don't belong to Him. Because we don't have an option. This is not a cafeteria program. God says do it. Our only response is, yes sir, I'm on my way right now. It's not, well, I can just sit here. Eh, I really don't have any interest in that. Hey, if you can do that, mark these strong words down. You need a good dose of salvation. Because if you can do that and God doesn't, 
chastise your hiney? There is no biblical assurance that you've ever been one of his children, never been born again. Because there's consequences. Oh, he might not kill you on the first offense, but you can best believe he's going to chastise you. It may just be that he takes away your pleasure and everything that you've worked for all your life. And you end up being a miserable, discouraging, discontented person. But I'm telling you, there are spiritual consequences for disobedience. Hey, let me tell you what would impress Bonifay, Florida. is when a church is collectively obedient. I don't mean a church has a few folk who are trying to do something significant. I mean when a church stands up and says, we will obey your commands. Man, that, that, that sends shockwaves through Bonifay, Florida. You know why? They ain't never seen it. That's in shockwaves through the state of Florida. You know why? Because ain't nobody ever seen that. That's in shockwaves through the United States of America. You know why? Because they ain't never seen that. Collective obedience is impressive. Hey, Grace, thank you. We're on our way. Let's get it done and finish the job. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And God, would you help us be as faithful as those Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. God, would you help us be obedient, be good followers of you, no matter what it is you ask, no matter where you send us, no matter what you do. May we be impressively obedient just like these guys because you are worth it. And God, if we do it out of gratitude, we couldn't do enough to express just how grateful we are for the fact that you have chosen us, you've given us eternal life, our future is secure in heaven, there's nothing that can separate us from your hand. God, we're eternally grateful, and may we translate that into impressive obedience for your honor and glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Our folk are leading us in one last...